Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Up. It's the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here. Glad to have you along here. We are taping this podcast on a Wednesday as the Clippers coming off a loss in Philadelphia, one in which they lost 110 to 103. The game was very close late after Lou Williams had a couple of three pointers to pull them within one. And then Philadelphia just was too much to handle at the end of that ball game as Ben Simmons was just absolutely tremendous in that ball game. Ended up with a triple-double, 26 points, 12 rebounds, and 10 assists. Joel Embiid, 26 points and 9 rebounds. He did a number on Montrez Harrell when Harrell was in the game. We'll talk about that with Adam Osland, our guest today. You hear him pre-game, halftime, and post-game for the Clippers radio network on AM570. We'll talk about Zoo versus Trez because, of course, that is another topic that just will not go away as Zoo came in, did a nice job at Embiid. But Embiid was just too good in that game. Tobias Harris in what was a revenge game of sorts. 17 points, 12 rebounds, and 5 assists for him. Josh Richardson promoted the starting lineup after coming off the bench in his first couple of games back from injury. He had 21 points. He got hot in that fourth quarter as the Clippers just could not handle the 76ers. A really poor shooting day for Lou Williams and Paul George. The two combined to shoot 8 for 30. Lou was 5 of 15. And PG was 3 of 15. Before we get to Adam, got to let you know that this podcast, like all of our other podcasts, is brought to you by our title sponsor, Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. Check out the website, HawaiianIsles.com on Amazon by searching for Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee or on Twitter at High Kona Coffee. If you looked into yesterday's game, you said, you know what? The spread of that game is Clippers minus one. It moved to a pick em. Hmm. Do I like the Clippers side? Do I like the 76ers side? You say, well, man, I really wish I could put some money on that. Well, now you can. You know where you can do that? MyBookie.ag. That's our betting partner here at HoopBall. Go sign up for a new account. Use the promo code TODAY. That's the word TODAY. And MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. You want to bet on hockey? Go ahead. You want to bet on college basketball? How about that? Maybe the XFL. Not entirely sure if they actually have the XFL, but that would be something because they actually do have lines. I don't know how they come up with those lines, but they do. And then, of course, March Madness is around the corner. And before you know it, spring training and MLB will be here as well. So you can bet on that. Go to mybookie.ag. The promo code is the word today. And, of course, if you haven't signed up for the Brews letter yet, don't know what you're doing. Our founder, the great Aaron Brewski, has decided to write an email newsletter for the 2019-2020 season. Exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. It's not going to be sent to, you know what, a website. It's not going to be sent to your phone, not on social media. It's only on the email newsletter. So maybe it does get sent to your phone if you get email on your phone like most people do. Just open up your email. Easy to sign up. Hoop-ball.com slash newsletter. That's hoop-ball.com slash newsletter. Sign up in 10 seconds and get that bruise letter. All right, enough of me. 
Let's go ahead. Let's bring on Adam Osland. All right, time to bring him on. You've heard him before twice on this Hoopball Clippers podcast. You hear him on AM570, pregame, postgame, halftime. He's all over the place. You can see him on Twitter at follow Adam A. He interacts with all the Clippers fans and a heck of a guy. Adam, welcome back to the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Brandon, what's up? Thanks for having me back on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to have you back on. Man, yesterday uh, was a game in which you would like to see the Clippers win. They came into that one as a one-point favorite, end up closing even. Tells you a little bit about how Vegas views the Clippers when they're fully healthy, despite the fact that Philadelphia only had about two losses, I think, all year at home that Vegas thought the Clippers could match up with Philly. And at the end, they really did. I think it was 91-90 and then Philly pulled away. What's your biggest takeaway from that loss yesterday? Well, first of all, I was kind of curious about that line. Not that I follow that stuff very closely, but I think part of it was the fact that there's all this turmoil going on with Philadelphia right now with Joel Embiid and these social media comments and the dark night, why so serious stuff, which I did like. If you're going to spurn your own fan base, I guess do it poetically with one of the great lines from the But in terms of the game and just how it played out, I didn't think the Clippers played very well. And it was still, as you mentioned there, a one-point game late. They end up losing by seven. It was a closer game than that. There were a few really bad calls that went against them. I'm talking like calls that went against the Portland Trailblazers bad. I'm not saying that's why they lost the game. But I thought Avita Zubac played really well against Joel Embiid. You're talking about the matchup there and how they could match up against this team in the NBA Finals post-trade deadline now with how we're looking at this Clipper. And I thought Zubats played about as well as you could against Embiid, who had 26-9, and but the last two times he played the Clippers last season, he averaged like 35-16. and He's been a Clipper killer. He's been ridiculous against them. And Zubats more than held his own And overall, it came down to 17 points in the fourth quarter. I'm not saying I don't want to take any credit away from him, but that's not that sustainable, obviously. It reminded me of Brandon Goodwin in that game in Atlanta where the Clippers were up big, and all of a sudden he dropped 19 points in the fourth quarter after I think going scoreless in the first three. Last night, Josh Richardson had four points leading into the fourth, and he just goes guys focusing in on stopping some of the other players for the Philadelphia 76ers. And for the most part, it worked, but he hit his his open shot. So you kind of got to tip your cap a little bit. But overall, if this is a seven-game series in the finals, I would feel very good uh, from the Clippers' perspective. I think they do match up well against them. And I'm just interested to see where Doc Rivers slots guys in late in games. You saw Marcus Morris at the five. They were going with five shooters on the floor at the end. To be able to do that against the Philadelphia 76ers also impressed me. That helped them get back into the game for a second. But again, it was Josh Richardson who ended up beating them. The rest of the guys, uh, they did their thing, but the Clippers could have survived if it wasn't for Richardson. All right, you mentioned him, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him up. And it's Zoo. It's a debate that refuses to go away, Adam. Zoo versus Trez. It's all over Twitter. Clippers fans are very unhappy about Zoo's playing time. And I understand it. And it's funny because this is the same guy in Zoo that was run off the floor in that Warrior series. And then here he is. They spend a ton of time on making him a better player in the offseason, sending coaches over across the pond to go and see how he's doing see how his hands are doing. He's become a better player. It seems like the Clippers are starting to trust him more. They're starting him. And then you go into this game, 
and you just watch. It's clear as day that Trez is getting bullied by Embiid, and Zeus still at times was being left on the bench. I feel like this is a debate that's not going to go away this entire season. I mean, I don't think it will go away until the two of them are not together on the same team. What do the Clippers do? Because it seems like Zoo is doing so much defensively, but Trez brings so much offensively. It's a tough thing to figure out for Doc Rivers. Yeah, they have contrasting styles and different uh, strengths and weaknesses. And you really can't play them together because they can both only score in the paint. So it is kind of a, a dicey situation for the coaching staff to figure out how many minutes to allocate to each player. But I would say in that game yesterday, it came down to Zubats getting in foul trouble. When he picked up that fifth foul, that's when Doc Rivers took him out of the game. He played 12 minutes in the first half and then just eight in the second half. Now, I did think that fifth foul uh, was something they were thinking about challenging, or Zoo was trying to implore the coaching staff to challenge because it was an iffy call. But I think in that certain situation, it was less about going with Montrez Harrell, which obviously wasn't working against Joel Embiid, and more about out of necessity having to play Montrez just because uh, Zubats got into foul trouble late. But look, it's not something that's going to go away. But I have faith in this coaching staff, and especially the fact that they brought in Marcus Morris. I think what that is going to do is give them one more option where if they need to play Zubots late in the game for defensive purposes, what they can do is put him at the five and Marcus at the four because you're not crowding the paint then because, of course, Marcus Morris can hit shots from the outside. That's one of the benefits, I think. Uh, they have now just by bringing in Marcus Morris. So, look, it's always a tough call because Montrez Harrell offers so much more offensively. But obviously, Zubats is one of the best paint protectors in the league. I posted this on Twitter just a couple days ago. But in terms of points in the paint, within six feet of the rim, he's holding defenders or offensive players to 46.7% shooting. That's better than Gobert. That's better than Embiid. That's better than Clint Capella, Steven Adams. That's better than pretty much every rim protector in the league. That's how good Zubats has been all season long. But late in games, Doc Rivers favors offense, and they are, I think, fourth offensively when a game's within five points in the last five minutes. So they do have some options at, with those death lineups, and Zubats just has not been a part of them so far. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I don't think people recognize how good they have been when they have those guys on the floor. And frankly, I don't think anyone is going to be 100% happy at all times. And that's going to happen when you have the depth that the Clippers have. I mean, when Lou's shot's not going and when Pat's healthy, Pat will probably be on the floor. And then you have Shamit, who was red hot yesterday. He played a bunch of minutes. You have Marcus Morris now who's in the fold. Jermichael Green, if he happens to get hot. You have so many different combinations that Doc can go to late in games. I don't think that Clippers fans are going to be happy at any loss because they'll find a way where they'll bring in somebody else should have been on the floor. They'll say that somebody else should have been the one that took that last shot. It just seems like no one is going to be 100% happy at all times because of all these options. Do you think that's possibly an issue? This is kind of the only downside to having too much talent, to having an embarrassment of riches. Because then you have the onus is on you to get them all on the floor and get the right guys in the right spot at the right time of the game. Too many options can be a problem. But 
I don't worry about that with Doc Rivers, honestly, because what he did a couple seasons ago with 37 starting lineups with all the injuries and getting them to 42 wins, he knows how to optimize lineups. And you mentioned Landry Shamit there. I do think this has been one thing that's a little bit of a concern, just because he had 11 points in the third quarter yesterday, and then he ends up only taking two shots in the fourth quarter where I think he played all 12 minutes. It just feels like they go into these lulls offensively, and a lot of that is because they forget about Landry Shamit and utilizing that weapon that he is. And because you can look back on the game log, and in three of the last five games or three of the last six games now, uh, he's taken less than seven shots. And that just shouldn't happen. He has that huge game against Miami where he goes for 23 points. Again, he loves playing the Heat for some reason. But then he ends up taking four shots when they give up 142 points to the Minnesota Timberwolves. So they have something there where you, had to, you just have to strike that balance. It's a balancing act when you have so much talent on the floor and making sure that offensively everyone is touching the basketball. And I think that was the biggest issue yesterday. Doc Rivers talked about it postgame. But offensively, they just weren't good enough. And all season long, they've really been inconsistent there, where obviously they can be world beaters. They've gone for 130 points or more nine times. That's tied for first in the NBA. But then there's other times where the ball sticks. And it hurts them. And I think a lot of that has to do when Landry Shamit is not touching the rock because the way he can spread the floor, it just opens things up and it makes this team, I think it makes them almost unbeatable when he's getting 10 shots or more or is hitting four three-pointers or more in a game. It just makes them so much more difficult to guard. I know it depends on the situation, but do you think they have an ideal finishing lineup now or do you think it's going to change game to game? Because if it does change game to game, I get that there are different circumstances where you're going to want to pat Beverly on the floor versus a Lou Williams. And at this point, you bring in a guy like Marcus Morris and between Morris, Kawhi and PG, you don't really need any more offense on the floor because you have those three guys. The one thing that does worry me is if they do continue to switch lineups at the end of the game and there's no continuity, that there's going to be a learning curve for these guys playing together when there's different combinations continuously on the floor at the end of games. Do you see that possibly being a problem? Yeah, I think learning curve and a team that is a work in progress have been two of the phrases all season long just because they haven't had a lot of continuity. I mean, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have played 23 games together on the court so far, and Patrick Beverly has missed 14 games now. They're 7-7 seven and seven in those 14 games. So he was also missing yesterday, and that was huge for them. You talk about the heart and soul. They just don't operate the same way without Patrick Beverly out there. But regarding playing lineups at the end of games and having some consistency there, I I think, honestly, if four of the five guys are consistent, meaning if they have PG, Kawhi, Montrez Harrell, and Sweet Lou Williams, which have been the four, uh, I guess, standard guys they've had out there at the end of games for most of this season, that fifth guy is rotating between Patrick Beverly or Landry Shamit. I think that's enough continuity right there. I think that's good enough, and they've proven that with the plus-minuses and the net ratings with that lineup. But now is Marcus Morris going to be the five? 
So I think in the end, it's going to be a luxury. And just like Doc Rivers talked about the starting lineup being a sliding starting lineup for most of this season, I think you'll see the same. It's going to be matchup dependent at the end of games. But I think for the most part, those four are going to be out there. But we did see a lot more Lou Williams earlier in the year at the end of games because Landry Shamit was out for 17 games. So now that's another option. I think those players don't have much of a problem playing next to one another. But then it's when Zubats is in there occasionally late in games, when Jermichael Green is out there. Some of the players that aren't getting as much run, that's when you worry a little bit more about continuity with late-game lineups. Yeah, the one issue is it seemed to get exposed yesterday that when Lou and Shrez are on the floor together, the defense does take a step back, and that's one issue. But when you do have Kawhi and PG on the floor – they do cover up some holes defensively. There's no doubt about that, especially when you add Pat to the mix as well. So it'll be interesting to see what Doc does because you have Lou and Trez, who are just so good offensively, and Lou will go through his lulls. It really does seem like he is more up and down over the last month or so than any time we've seen him. And then you have Trez, who's instant offense, but like we saw against Embiid, he struggles against bigger guys that are skilled. So that's one thing that I think some fans are probably a little concerned about is Lou and Trez on the floor together. Is that something that concerns you at all, or are you okay with it based on what we've seen results-wise so far? Well, I go back to last season, and both of those guys were top 10 in fourth quarter scoring. They are the best one-two punch off the bench in NBA history, and they do have a special connection out there. It goes back to off-season work they've been doing in Atlanta for a while. Uh, And regarding Montrez Harrell and struggling against bigs, I do think it's a little bit overblown because there's only so many bigs like Joel Embiid and like Giannis Zinacumpo. Now, those are guys they could see in the finals, but he's actually done really well against Anthony Davis late in games. AD has only scored four points total in fourth quarters against the Clippers so far this season in two games, and Montrez Harrell has been his primary defender. He's actually guarded him really well. So it's a little bit of a concern. You're trading defense for offense, there's no doubt. But like you brought up there, when you have PG, when you have Kawhi Leonard and Patrick Beverly out there, that should be enough to help out on on defenders or on offensive players and help out defenders like Montrez Harrell and sweet Lou Williams. And yes, Lou Williams has been extremely streaky, especially the last month and a half. He started off January after the birth of his son, six, and he was shooting over 50% from three. He was ridiculous. The second half of January... Uh, the numbers have all dipped. But on the season, 42% from the field, 35% from the outside. That's pretty much what you would expect from Lou Williams. And I remember last season, in that six-game series against the Golden State Warriors, he was better than you would have thought late in games against Golden State. His effort, obviously, defensively, was much better than it was during the regular season. So is it is it a perfect lineup at the end of games because you don't have – five guys that are two-way players? No. But we're all talking about, I guess, the luxury of the Clippers and nitpicking the minor details. I still think they're going to be the toughest team to guard at the end of games in the NBA because they have so many guys that are interchangeable and they're way too versatile. They have more ways to beat you than any other team does, basically. Yeah, and we're picking them apart. I mean, it just it's at this point, they're winning so many games and we forget that this team has not been in like the top two or three. Obviously, at the start of last year, they were. But this isn't something that Clippers fans are not used to. And it's funny that we're not appreciating it as much as we probably should be. And we're picking it apart. 
more than we should be. And that's one thing that's very interesting to see from the outside is that Clippers fans seem to be going after Doc. They seem to be going after Lou and Trez. They seem to be going after Zoo if Zoo's not playing well. It just seems like we're trying to pick apart so much and we're already assuming a championship should be given to us when we frankly have a whole season to play and to watch, and there still is an entire postseason. That's one thing that's been interesting to see from the outside. Have you noticed that? Yeah, there's definitely been a drastic shift in the mindset from Clippers fans, but it's because of the expectations and the high standard of this organization that they have set now. Mm -hmm. This is a good thing. Like Doc Rivers has talked about it before, we embrace the responsibility of having to be great and having these lofty expectations where I think they have the highest ceiling, the most potential in the league. Uh, So I get the fans have to uh, kind of, I guess, put things in perspective nightly now because they are 37 and 17 and every loss though feels like we shouldn't lose ever. I understand that. I get those calls on Clippers talk now, but you also have to put things in context with this team. And they've had so many injuries. And I was looking up uh, yesterday the fact that they're now 14-10 and against teams that are above 500. But think of this. None of those 10 losses have they had their full roster yet because they're 4-0 when they actually have their full roster out there. And so only four games so far this season has Doc Rivers had his entire roster at his disposal. The only issues for me with this team and things to be concerned about are just time and health, having guys out there on the court bonding and building chemistry in real game situations. That's the only thing they need. The talent is there. The ingredients are there to win a championship, but you have to stay healthy. And that's, that's the luck part about winning every season. I mean, I think the Golden State Warriors win it last season if they had KD healthy, even with how good Kawhi Leonard was. If KD's healthy, if Klay Thompson doesn't get hurt in the NBA Finals, I think they end up winning. So there's always that aspect to it. But it is, it is interesting to see, especially because now in the regular season, uh, it feels like there's been this shift where a lot of Clippers fans, yes, they over, overly scrutinize every loss now. But a lot of them are also focused on the playoffs and the big picture and winning a championship. Whereas with Laker fans, <laughs> just to pit them against one another and to look at this contrast, they seem to be more concerned about the regular season than the playoffs and championships for once. So there's this weird shift going on between the two fan bases this season. Yeah, and the Lakers fans seem to be more concerned about the Clippers than they do their own team, which is something that's uh, been very interesting to watch. Is It seems like Rent-free. <laughs> every single time they get a chance to uh, bash the Clippers, they, they try to do it. And it's something that's funny because – It's not something the Clippers fans really have been doing over the last year or so is trying to compare the two teams. But all of a sudden, the Clippers get good, and there's uh, some hatred from the other side, which is very interesting. I want to get your take on the trade deadline because you bring in Marcus Morris. You don't give up fee. You don't give up man. I thought the Clippers did really well. It's a first-round pick that, frankly, the Clippers probably needed to get rid of based on the fact that they don't have any picks. So you might as well get rid of the final pick that you have for the next decade. Uh, so you do that. You trade him away Harkless, who I understand he's good defensively, but I really do think he's going to be tough to play in the playoffs just because of what he doesn't give offensively. And we just talked a bunch about how important offense is for this team. How do you like the trade? Because Marcus Morris is a guy that is known to stop the ball. 
and he is someone that was the leading scorer in New York and now is going to become the number four option at times for the Clippers, maybe even the number five option at times. It's an interesting fit. I think it's a pretty good fit for the Clippers just to have him on the team as some, an extra scorer. And I said to Jovan this weekend that, frankly, it's better that they got him and the Lakers didn't get him. Uh, we just talked about Lakers versus Clippers. I think the biggest part of that was that they kept him away from the Lakers. What do you think about the addition of Marcus Morris? Yeah, that was my first thought before the trade deadline was finished, that you have to block the Lakers more than anything else. And I do think Marcus Morris would be an upgrade over Kyle Kuzma if it was just a one-for-one, but obviously they couldn't do that. And if New York was asking for Kuzma and Danny Green, I wouldn't do that if I was the Los Angeles Lakers. I guess there's reports out there that Rob Palenka was open to that, but the Knicks weren't. I don't know. That's crazy. But back to the Clippers, uh, I do think – if you're looking at Mo Harkless in the regular season, he might be better for 82 games. But in the playoffs, in a seven-game series, you want Marcus Morris. He's so much better in those situations. You talk about maybe being a ball stopper. That also means an isolation player, though. That's the other side of that. And that's what he brings late in games. He hit a big three last night where he created for himself. And we saw the game on Sunday in Cleveland without Kawhi Leonard. And he had a couple of jumpers in the third quarter where it was just get the ball down to him, let him create for himself. And it almost reminded me of Kawhi Leonard being there still with the fancy moves he had with the step back uh, baseline mid-range jumper. And those are the shots that you have to take and make in the postseason. Those are the shots that win you championships because when teams are giving maximum effort, it's such a different game in the playoffs. It's more physical. The game is slowed down. Those are kind of cliches, but they are for a reason. It's true. The refs swallow their whistles. They don't want to uh, have an impact on the outcome of the game. And I think Marcus Morris will thrive in those situations. And I think the biggest thing he does is – he gets guys off of double-teaming Kawhi and Paul George because, well, Mo Harkless ended up shooting 37% from three as a clipper. It was on, like, one shot per game. It wasn't at a high clip. Marcus Moore is shooting 44% while attempting, I think, six per game. That says something. Plus, he was, at worst, the second option on that Knicks team, so teams were loading up to stop him, and they still couldn't. So now in a playoff series, late in games especially, if he gets those open shots, and I saw I think he was shooting 47% on open threes this season with the Knicks, you know, those are shots that Mo Harkless had been missing a lot of this season. And now defenses are, aren't going to be able to just sag off of him and go after PG and Kawhi. They're going to have to stay at home on Marcus Morris. And that just helps spread the floor for more isolation shots from Kawhi Leonard and game winners like that in the playoffs. Yeah, and Morris is a great three-point shooter. There's no doubt about that. And it seems like the Clippers really did need to add some three-point shooting. It'll be interesting to see how often the Clippers go to a lineup that features Morris, Trez, and Lou, all three of them on the floor at the same time with Kawhi and PG sitting out because that's obviously not the strongest defensive team. But maybe if you add in a guy like Shamit and Jamichael Green or Shamit and Zoo, Shamit and Beverly or something, it'll be interesting to see what the Clippers do defensively um, with those well, guys. The, on the other floor. thing about Marcus Morris, too, and I'm sorry to cut you off there, Brandon. Yeah. But I do want to point out that defensively, well, Mo Harkless is more versatile. He can guard ones and twos better than Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris is a better individual defender against fours and fives. 
and he's one more guy you can throw at LeBron James. Yeah. That's the other reason they had to make this move. Just changing levels and changing defenders, because no one's going to stop LeBron, but if you can throw enough guys at him, he can't get into the rhythm he might have otherwise. Yeah, it's a great point, and one thing that does help the Clippers a lot is that you can have Morris, PG, and Kawhi, and those three guys can switch, and they can do it as much as they want because those three guys just have the ability to defend at different levels and different positions. So that'll be something that'll be interesting to see with those guys. I, I think at this point, there needs to be Kawhi, PG, or Marcus Morris. I'd like to see at least one of them on the floor because that is somebody that you can count on to get you instant offense. And I understand that Lou and Trez have this dynamic, but it does seem like at times Lou does struggle to get into those rhythms. If he's not red hot, it does seem like it's tough for him to go and get that ISO bucket. Whereas you just mentioned Morris is good ISO and he can go ahead and get you a couple of buckets by himself. So it'd be interesting to see if Doc does go to that at some point where he makes sure that one of those three guys is on the floor at the same time. Yeah, and with Lou Williams, look, you got to take the good with the bad because he's so explosive. What he was able to do against the Golden State Warriors in that series last year in the playoffs, what happened in that game, too, wasn't just Landry Shamit hitting that game winner. It was Lou Williams going off against elite defenders over and over again. And he had multiple games in that series where he was able to score – against the other team's best, and not just any team, the ultimate super team in the Golden State Warriors when KD was still healthy. So, to me, Lou Williams is too clutch to take off the floor late in games. He means too much with intangibles and big shots, and I know some of his playoff numbers aren't great, but what I saw last season with the Golden State Warriors, with the Clippers, and what Lou Williams was able to do with creating for himself, Uh, I think he's got to be out there. I think he's a threat because he's the underground GOAT, and other teams also know Lou Williams can beat you. He's your favorite player's favorite player for a reason. He draws a lot of attention, even if he is cold. He thinks the next one's going in. It's funny because Kawhi Leonard is my fiance's number one favorite player, and number two is Lou Williams. It's just the way it goes. Everyone loves Lou, and for good reason. It's just one of those things where you don't want to have to put all of the burn on his shoulders to try and get the open look. Because one thing I noticed that happened a lot yesterday, Adam, was Lou would get the ball and he would try and draw a foul on the perimeter and he would start to lean into the defender and realize he was not going to get the call and he would either continue to dribble and pick, I mean, pick up and start dribbling or he would go and get rid of it. It's something that happened, I think, three or four times yesterday where it seemed like he try, he wanted to force the shot and then he thought better of it, which meant they were playing good defense on him. It's going to be fascinating to see this team. It really is. I and mean, we're about to approach the all-star break, Adam. And when you look at this team from the outside, the overall picture, I think you've got to be pretty pleased where the Clippers are right now. I mean, I understand injuries. And frankly, the one thing about injuries that is tough is you can't continue to just bank on this team being healthy. This team is now showing you that health is going to be very important. And you can't just say, all right, well, they're undefeated when they have everybody healthy. Well, you can't bank on that being the case at the end of the season. But overall... I think you've got to be happy with what you've seen from this team so far at the All-Star break. No, at 37-17 and 17 right now with one more game to go in Boston, that's a big game. Boston's going to be upset about losing to the Rockets the way they did last night. Yeah. But they are on track to being the best team in the league. I'm not saying record-wise in the regular season, but everything we thought they could be when 
they reformatted this roster this summer and put the two superstars together, we've seen glimpses of the highs. And I think when PG and Kawhi are out there, they're top two right behind Milwaukee offensively and defensively when those two players are on the court. So we've seen some of the fruits of the labor of the front office and what they were trying to do. But the best is still yet to come. And you talk about the injuries, yes, you can't account for them. And you could say this team has some guys that are injury-prone. But the one guy that you can't have injured most of all is Kawhi Leonard. And the knee management has worked. It's been proven now because he's playing the best basketball, I think, of his regular season career the last month and a half or the last two months now, really, going back to December. Uh, And I thought he easily could have been player of the month in January. It should have been either him or Damian Lillard. I I was stunned that LeBron James won it. A lot of Laker fans were even stunned by that. But Kawhi Leonard looks better than ever, and the way they've been using him has been successful. And this is a team that's had their eye on the playoffs the entire time. They have sacrificed regular season games. We know this. And guys that have been dinged up, they just take them out. If you're hurt and Patrick Beverly wanted to come back in the other night with that sore right hamstring, no, they're not going to do that. They're trying to have everybody as fresh as possible for when it matters most because ultimately they're going to be judged on whether or not they win the championship this season. So to have this good of a record – with just 23 games with Kawhi and PG on the court together, with just four games with the entire roster healthy, I actually think it's remarkable. And they're probably ahead of schedule in some ways. But they still just have to be able to, and I think the line was or the word used last night, I'm not sure if it was Doc Rivers or one of the players, but figuring out how to incorporate everyone into this offense and get everyone on the same page to where there's more consistency offensively and defensively where they've also had lapses obviously 140 points in the minnesota timberwolves and those 26 three-pointers that was one game that was one example of that so i think the uh this team is still limitless in their potential and i think 37 and 17 right now should be something every clippers fan is celebrating yeah the all-star break would be really nice for pg and to uh get pat healthy as well I know Kawhi is going to be involved in the festivities, but to have those three guys get a bunch of days off, it'll help a lot. And and for the Clippers, after the All-Star break, you look at their schedule, and they've got Sacramento, Memphis at home, Sacramento Memphis both at home, at Phoenix versus Denver versus Philly, at OKC, at Houston versus the Lakers. It's not an easy schedule coming out of the break. So it'll be interesting to see how this team does, because after that, you do get a little bit of a lull in the schedule, which does help in, in March. But... We're going to find out, I think, what this Clippers team is made of very shortly after the All-Star break, which will be fun to watch. And frankly, this team's been great. And I do think that the key to this team is A, staying healthy, but B, is Doc figuring out the rotations and what works. And at the end of the day, I don't think there's any other coach I would rather have at the helm of this team than Doc Rivers. No, he's proven it. I really think the last two seasons were his best coaching jobs, even accounting for 2008 with the Boston Celtics. That team had more set roles. They had the big three plus a young Rondo, and they end up winning the championship. But I think when you're talking about maximizing talent, 
What happened the last two seasons was a Clippers team that really overachieved, I thought, two years ago. They were 11-18 and 18 at one point. They probably should have won 30 games tops. They end up winning 42. And then last year, to win 48, to win 48 games, and then after the trade line, deadline, get better, where they were 13-2 and two in March, after they traded away arguably their best player in Tobias Harris, I don't think Doc Rivers has anything left to prove, or there's no reason not to have faith in him figuring out the right combinations for the right times and situations in the game to make sure this Clippers team is able to pull out big victories. And by the way, they're eight and one in games decided by three points or less. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> That's stats. the best record in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, if you can close games and close tight games, then you're going to end up winning titles. This is just a matter of if you can play close games and win them, you'll be in good shape. All right, Adam, this has been great. Where can people find you? I know you're on Twitter at FollowAdamA. You got the FNA podcast, and you also have a show now on the weekends, right? Yes, the UCLA Health Zone with Dr. Phil Cohen from 8 to 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings. We do talk a lot of sports medicine, influenza, coronavirus, pretty much everything (laughs) health-related. But just uh, find me at follow Adam A on Twitter. Everything else kind of stems out from there. If you get to me on Twitter at follow Adam A or at fnapodcast.com with myself and Kevin Figures. We've been running that show for about uh, six or seven years now. Adam, appreciate you as always. Brandon, thanks for having me back on, man. Anytime. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Adam Oslin. Gave some good insight into everything that's going on right now with the Clippers, whether it's Zoo versus Trez. Or it's Marcus Morris's edition, Lou Williams. I thought we did a nice deep dive into the Los Angeles Clippers. Apologies if there was some dropping that happened in the beginning of the podcast. Don't know what it was. Adam actually is on a landline. So just go ahead and thank technology for that. But I think we got most of it cleaned up and got a pretty clear podcast out for you. Next up for the Clippers, like Adam said, it'll be Boston tomorrow. The final game before the All-Star break and then a well-deserved week off For the Los Angeles Clippers, they will not be back in action until the following Saturday, the 22nd, against Sacramento at home at 1230. So it'll be about a nine-day break for the Clippers, which is much needed to make sure everyone is healthy. Most likely not going to have a podcast for you this weekend as I'm all over the place traveling. So early next week is what we're targeting for a new podcast as we'll uh, preview the second half of the season for the Los Angeles Clippers as they currently stand at 37-17 and 17, and they continue to fight to try and grab that two-seed in the Western Conference. A big thank you to Adam Oslin for jumping on. You can follow him on Twitter at FollowAdamA. You can follow me on Twitter at BDMarcus. And, of course, you have at HoopBallClips for the Hoopball Clippers podcast. This has been the Hoopball Clippers podcast. I'm Brandon Marcus saying so long, and we'll talk to you next time. And go Clips! This has been a hoop ball presentation.